Robert Craig and his best friend Chris are on the Trans-Canada Highway, being chased by a wall of flames. The fire was probably about 50 to 75 yards off the highway. They come round a bend and screech to a halt. The highway in front of them is blocked. In front of us, approximately 200 yards, the flames were 100 feet high. On one side is a mountain. The entire face of it is on fire. And the other, a cliff. A 200-foot drop to a river. There was no realistic chance of escape. There was no way out. And so we, uh, myself and, and my friend, we both texted our mothers. I'm Tora Chur, and this is Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people, an original podcast by OnStar. Because we all have moments when we need help from a stranger. The mountains of Western Canada are rugged and beautiful. The highway from Kamloops to Vancouver that weaves between them has been called one of the most beautiful drives on the planet. It can also be one of the most dangerous. Winter weather can make it deadly. But not today. Today, it's gorgeous. It's late June, a hot, sunny day in a long string of them. For two buddies from Vancouver, it's a perfect end to an epic trip. We've been close since, uh, I guess, grade two. The windows are rolled down, the radio's on, and the way the highway winds through the forest, it looks like a car commercial. This is the final day of their adventure. Robert and Chris have spent the whole week on a backcountry canoe trip in one of the wilderness parks. It was very enjoyable. One of the most beautiful trips I've ever taken. But today, they're headed home, and they've got a full day of driving ahead of them. So they stop at a roadside burger joint for an early lunch. We'd been on the water eating freeze-dried meals for the last eight days, and we were kind of craving something a little bit more fatty. It's a place called The Sugar Shack. It's sort of low-key legendary in the area. Good food, friendly people. It's the kind of of middle-of-nowhere place where people take a break from the road and share stories about what they've seen. A herd of elk, a black bear, or smoke. They said that there was some sort of forest fire that was near Lytton, but that it wasn't too serious and that they had no trouble getting through. Lytton is two hours away, but very much on their path. The Trans-Canada Highway runs right through it. With a population of 250, it's a village tucked in a valley where two rivers meet. Reports of wildfires are unfortunately getting quite common in this part of the country in recent years. We didn't really think anything about it, to be honest. We're just like, oh, okay, I guess... I guess there's a fire, you know? So we jumped in the car and started making our way back to Vancouver. For the next hundred miles, life is good. Then something odd appears on the horizon. We saw like a, a cloud in the sky, like a thundercloud, and it was big. It was bigger than pretty much anything I'd ever seen. It was really, really thick and it was incredibly black. But still, it's just a cloud. What are you gonna do, right? So they keep driving. Lytton had been like the hottest place in North America, according to Weather Canada. So we just assumed that after such an incredible heat wave, having a a massive thunderstorm was something to be expected. 
The miles tick by, but they never do see any rain. The cloud just keeps getting bigger and darker. Finally, they put two and two together. That cloud is not a thunderstorm. As we got closer to Lytton, we, we started to see some smoke. Like hazy. This is where Robert and Chris start getting worried. But traffic on both sides of the highway continues moving. It hasn't even really slowed down. I mean, if cars are still coming towards them, the road ahead must be clear, right? What we're seeing here is some of the highest... We had the radio on the entire time and we were listening and there was no mention of any closures. So we just sort of continued on. Not really, not really expecting trouble at all at that point. Like at all. I think once we started getting closer to Lytton, the smoke sort of changed. The sky becomes very dark. It takes on a new color, a deep reddish orange. They have to turn on the headlights. There was still traffic coming towards us. It was our thought was that this traffic was still coming through the highway in Lytton. They round a bend, and from the top of the hill, they can see the whole valley, the two rivers, the small town of Lytton. They've both been here a dozen times before, but they've never seen it like this. We could see the far side of town was on fire. Um, We could see houses on fire. We could see buildings on fire. And uh, we stopped seeing any traffic coming towards us at all. They stopped the car, both of them in shock. On the south side of town was completely ablaze. The flames were quite high, I would say 50 and 60 feet high. We were absolutely stunned by what we were seeing. We saw the hospital of Lytton burning, numerous houses. Uh, the gas station was completely engulfed. I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. Uh, I've never seen anything really like that before. There's a phenomenon in psychology called temporal dissociation. You probably know it better as that feeling when time stands still. That's what happened to Robert. We were very, I don't know how to describe it, overwhelmed. That was the town of Lytton that was actually burning in front of us. They step out of the car, unable to process what they're seeing. It looked about over half of Lytton got consumed in that two to three minute period of time. It sounds fast, and it was fast. It was the fastest moving thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything on on land move like that. Still, they're unable to move. This entire town was just wiped off the face of the earth, like in seconds, in seconds. It happened so fast. I just, you know, it was hard to really grasp that. Done with the town, the flames start marching up the hill. Our adrenaline was quite high, and we didn't really realize, you know, we didn't really feel the smoke uh, entering our lungs, but the, the heat of the fire, you could feel it on your face. It would hit you like a wave. But they still don't realize how much danger they're in. We saw a gentleman sort of come out of the smoke, covered in soot and blacked out by the flames. They have no idea who it is, but it doesn't matter. He was pretty clear that we needed to run for our lives. The tone in his voice definitely indicated that the situation was far more serious than maybe we realized. Robert and Chris jump back in their car. They do a U-turn, pound on the gas. 
we didn't feel like we had to wait for the gentleman in the truck to lead us out. So we just immediately started driving the direction we had just come from. At that point, um, we assumed that we would just be able to drive out the way we'd driven in. Pedal to the floor, they drive as fast as they can through the thick black smoke. The intensity of the flames and the smoke had turned the sky. I mean, I can't even describe the color that I saw. Like, it was just so red and so dark that it was almost black. It was like black, the blackest red that you've ever seen. They race along through what has become a surreal landscape. A cliff and a river on one side, a burning mountain on the other. Behind them is a village on fire. All they can do is keep driving. In front of us, approximately at 200 yards, we saw the fire jump the highway. And the flames were, the flames were 100 feet high, I would say. A curtain of flame cuts off the road in front of them. They bring the car to a stop. Just like that, the trap is closed. There was no realistic chance of escape. There was no way out. There was no realistic way out at all. Robert and Chris sit in the car. They don't even speak. Their minds are racing. The whole scene feels like a movie. The level of heat is now starting to melt the part of the car that houses the side view mirrors. That, that was starting now to melt and, and droop off the side of our car. The air gets hotter. It's difficult to breathe. We both messaged our mothers and uh, informed them that we may have made a bit of a mistake on the, on the trip home from our canoe trip and wished them well. Those messages were sent, but they never got a reply. On a nearby hilltop, the nearest cell tower collapsed in the flames and the signal disappeared. This show is called Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. It's a chance for people like Robert to tell stories about pivotal moments in their lives. And in all the stories, there comes a moment when they need help. Help from someone they don't know. In this story, it's pretty clear what help Robert needs. He needs a way out of a forest on fire. As the flames grow closer and the temperature continues to rise, Robert and Chris make a desperate plan. We sort of just looked at each other and uh, realized at that point there was only one chance to escape the fire, and it was essentially straight down to the river. The fire for sure was going to get us, but there was a chance that, you know, the 200-foot fall might not. At least a chance. It's a pretty slim chance, but to stay there was certain death. They get out of the car. The full heat hits them as they make their way to the edge of the cliff. They look down. Growing up, they used to jump off bridges into the river, but nothing this high. They look at each other and prepare to jump. But for the second time today, they see a pickup truck coming through the smoke. It's the same guy that ordered them off the hill overlooking Lytton a peace officer from the nearby indigenous community. The reservation officer got out of his vehicle and started yelling at us. And he said, don't panic, there's a fire truck on the way and they're going to be here in just a moment. Think of the last time you were in line at a grocery store or on hold trying to reach customer service. 
Think about how long five minutes feels. Now imagine you're surrounded by flames. And five minutes feels like forever when you're in that. And to be honest, it, it could very well have been less time than that. And this fire truck came through this wall of flame like nothing I've ever seen, like an action movie. It was just like unbelievable. I don't know what these guys are trained for, but I can't imagine that it's driving through a wall of flame to rescue people. One of the firemen came over to our vehicle, told my friend that he would be commandeering the vehicle and driving us out. I scrambled into that backseat so fast, I can't even believe it. And uh, that fireman, he jumped right into the to the driver's seat and, and told us, you know, he looked us right in the eye. He looked us right in the eye and he said, you know what, we're going to make it out of this, don't worry. It's like, everything's going to be okay. And he started driving. This is the point in our show when we normally introduce you to the hero, the stranger who shows up at the right place and the right time and saves the day. But we don't have that voice for you. We contacted the Lytton Volunteer Fire Department. We have talked to their chief and the four other members who were on the ground that day. And not one of them can remember that moment that Robert is describing. Two guys at the side of the highway, a black hatchback full of camping gear, jumping in and driving them to safety. Nothing. But why? I drove through town about quarter after five and I noticed that, you know, there was smoke at the south end of town. This is Jan Polderman, the mayor of Lytton. So I started making phone calls. And I believe it was about 23 minutes later, I ordered an evacuation order, but it was too late. People were already running. 85% of the buildings, when I drove through, were fully engulfed. I saw the firemen, they were running from house to house, knocking on doors to make sure that the people were out. These firefighters are volunteers, four men and one woman with families of their own to protect. But when everyone else in town was running away, they were knocking on doors, making sure no one was left behind. I think most people, uh, when they join the fire department, they sort of, you know, think of a single structure being on fire or maybe two structures on fire, but I don't think they ever really envision a whole town going up all at, you know, basically the same time. They kept working for 48 hours straight in the town and on the three highways that connect it to the outside world. No downtime, no sleep. The fire didn't stop, so they couldn't either. But I'd like them to know, that, you know, that the community is very thankful. One of the firefighters was working, to, you know, to put out the fire and her own home burned to the ground. In that context, the fact that none of them remember the 13 minutes that saved Robert and Chris's lives, isn't that surprising? With Robert crouched in the back and Chris in the passenger seat, the firefighter puts the car in gear. They follow the fire truck and hit the wall of fire going 40 miles an hour. It went from being pretty hot to extremely hot. I can't imagine having to spend longer than just a few seconds in, in something like that inside your vehicle. It melted the tires right off our car. Everything was on fire. Our vehicle was on fire. The fire truck was on fire. Then, they're through. On the other side of the wall of flames, there was an abandoned church uh, on that corner. 
and a number of the vehicles had also stopped sort of around this uh, abandoned church area. They scramble out of the car, shocked at the beating it's taken. The whole housing was all sort of deformed and half-melted, and then the tires were just completely gone. Robert turns to thank the guy who's just driven them out, but he's already gone, back in the fire truck, driving back into the fire. They were gone very, very quickly um, towards the fire once again. They were going to try and see if they if that if the town needed help. Robert never got his name. He didn't even really see his face. The only part of him that was visible was roughly between the bottom of his nose and his eyes through the visor in his fire helmet. He had a deep, gruff voice. He seemed like he's been in a situation where he's had to tell people to stay calm before. The guys get a ride to the next town and are home in Vancouver by midnight. You hear stories growing up. You know firemen are brave. But when you're like actually in something like that and you understand that these, these guys go into this like all the time, I just would like to commend that guy and his bravery. I, I've always known they're brave, but I just never really realized the situations that they were going into, you know? I'd love to know who it was, too. I'd like to know his name and why he volunteers for such dangerous work. But we probably never will. And maybe it doesn't matter which one it was. Maybe it wasn't one of them. In a way, maybe it was all of them. The Litton Creek fire came on the heels of an incredibly hot and dry week. The day before the fire, the temperature in Litton was 121 degrees Fahrenheit. The cause is still unknown, but once started, there was no stopping it. It was pushed by winds of over 40 miles an hour. 90% of the buildings in the town were destroyed. The post office, the police station, the town's only hotel, and virtually every residential home was lost. Sadly, two people died. But thanks to the incredible work of the volunteer firefighters, countless lives were saved. This is Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. Every episode has a story about someone, someone like me or you or Robert and Chris, who found themselves needing help. Providing that help is what OnStar has been doing for 25 years. And it's what I want to do right now. I'm going to introduce you to Tony Briggs, He's the regional CEO at the American Red Cross of Central California, and he has some ideas about what you can do to stay safe. So if you do find yourself in this situation like Robert did, sitting in your car with the wildfire closing on you, what is the best thing to do? The first thing you want to do is you want to stay calm. And I know that sounds absolutely crazy when everything around you looks like it's on fire and it looks like the end of days. But the first thing you want to do is you want to stay calm. And then what you want to do is you want to make sure that you turn your events off and you want to make sure that you're not bringing in that smoke into your car. You want to make sure that your doors are unlocked because if your doors are locked and the first responder is trying to get to you, that's one more thing that you have to be, that you've got to be able to fix. And then the other thing that we're asking people to do is make sure you can get as low as you possibly can in your vehicle. You know, lay down on the floorboard, do everything you can to make sure that your profile is as low to the ground as possible. 
And that's because the fire is generally going to go over top, especially close to the road. Correct. And you want to try to stay as low as you can because the smoke is going to be rising around you. And, and if you can get as low as you possibly can, that will help you with the smoke inhalation. So how can you stay safe if you find yourself in an environment where there's, there's wildfire, you're not in your car, maybe you're in your house? What do you need to do if, it, if you feel it closing in on you? So I would say the first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that all of your windows are closed. You want to make sure that your doors are closed. Everything is unlocked. So once again, people can get into your home to, to get you out when it's safe. Uh, you want to make sure that you're, you have a sink full of water or a tub full of water. You want to get into an area where you know that you're in the center of your home. And then what you'd really like to do is you just want to make sure that you can get word out to your local authorities. You want to make sure that you can call um, your relatives and tell them that where you are, because if for some reason the cell service goes down, it will allow everyone to know where your last location was. And by telling someone who's outside of the area, it gives you a better chance of making sure that they can get the word in saying that you were at 123 Main Street, you know, when we lost communications with you. What about preparation? Do I need a generator? Do I need a go bag? What should I have at my house to feel more prepared? You want to make sure that if you cannot leave, that you have set yourself up for success and you've been preparing for such an event, that you have food that's non-perishable, that you make sure that if you have canned foods, that you have a manual can opener. Uh, you want to make sure that you've got, you know, a full tank of gas in your car. You want to make sure that you have uh, some cash on hand, because if you are in an area that has been affected by a wildfire, you may not have power. And the one thing that you need to get gas is electricity. And you can't get money from your ATM if uh, there's no power. I would say your go bag needs to be everything that you need to be able to live off the grid for approximately three to five days. Um, whenever there's a, a large natural disaster, such as a wildfire, first responders may not be able to get to you right then and there. And you want to make sure that you have everything that you need to be able to be self-sustaining for anywhere from three to five days. And we're talking about a gallon of water per person. We're talking about any medical things that you might need as far as medicines or uh, devices. And then what we're talking about is just some of the comfort things that you might need. And, um, you know, I've got kids and I want to make sure that my kids have everything that they need as far as, hey, dad, do you have a solar power charger for your cell phone? As a matter of fact, I do. And I will tell you that my kids would use it for their cell phone and then they'd use it for their Nintendo Switch and they'd use it for all kinds of other things that, you know, when you're just sitting there with no power, you know, you need something to keep yourself busy. So those are the things that we're, that we're thinking about when we're, we're talking about having that emergency go bag or uh, making sure that, you know, you're thinking about your pets and the things that they might need as far as medication or play toys or things like that. What about a go kit for your car? So everything that you would need for your car should be in your trunk. And the the thing that people don't really think about is, hey, I should probably back my car into my driveway. I should make sure that I have everything that I need in my go bag in my trunk or close to it. And then making sure that everything that you would need as far as um, paperwork or anything like that is really readily available so that you can grab that go kit, put it in your trunk and get yourself off to safety. How do you convince people to prioritize these kinds of things when you look around and go, oh, I don't see a fire coming or I'm not in a landslide prone area? How do you convince people that this is something to really spend maybe just an hour of their day to think about? Well, Tora, 
It's not about the if the next thing happens. It's about when. Um, when you think about fires that happen here in California, every single year, it turns out to be the biggest fire in history. So we're reminding people that the people who were in Paradise, California, didn't think that there'd be such a large fire in their area, and, and it was. And we use those lessons to tell people to be prepared. And we are always banging the drum and making sure that people have a kit, that they make a plan, and they stay informed. Okay, thanks, Tony. I've got, to, I've got some preparing to do. Thanks, Tora. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want more information about how to stay safe in the backcountry during a wildfire, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that a stranger helped you. Maybe a firefighter, or maybe just a person you met on the bus. Let's share some love for people who help others, in big ways and small. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Kachur. And please, be safe out there.